It was painful. They probably hadn't ever felt this type of pain before. Or perhaps it was a unique pain, a, a pain that they had felt before, but maybe not so as intensely as they were feeling it now. Perhaps when their mother or father had passed, they felt the same. Now that their brother was dead, they felt that pain. And it was a pain that in the back of their minds they thought maybe they should have and could have escaped it if only Jesus had been there. Because here is this man that knew their family well and yet still their brother died. Why did Jesus let this happen? When we look at the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Jesus uses the opportunity to glorify God by his power even over death. And in doing so, he is able to demonstrate to us that he's able to do things that truly change our lives. And to truly show the power of the resurrection, that it's not just something that's strange and abstract and, and off in the distance. It's something that changes life now. And it was real. And it all started when Jesus was away and Lazarus died. As we come to John chapter 11, we find the story of Jesus and, and Mary and Martha. And we find that Jesus has an intense relationship with his family, or at least he knows them very well. Others recognized how close Jesus was with Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now and a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, him whom you love is sick. Jesus had such a close relationship with this family that the relationship described between Jesus and Lazarus is the one whom you love. Now Jesus loves everyone. John chapter 3 verse 16. But John is trying to demonstrate to us and show us that Jesus had a close relationship with his family. And word comes to Jesus through Mary and Martha, hey, the bro our brother is sick. Lazarus needs you. And yet Jesus did not quickly come. In fact, the text tells us, as we continue to read, that, that he delayed coming for a couple more days. Look at verses 4 and 5. 
But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death before the glory of God, so that the Son of God died by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he, verse 6, heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, but he doesn't go to the family that he loves to take care of this problem. He waits two days before he does anything. Now notice in the text, we don't know where Jesus is at. At least not yet. I guess as we read the entire chapter, we never learn precisely where Jesus is at. But we find out that Jesus doesn't do anything for two days. He doesn't make his way to Bethany for at least two days. But Lazarus dies. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You go. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Did you notice that nobody came to tell Jesus that Lazarus died? But Jesus, being God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us, knew that Lazarus was dead. He waits two days. He could have gone to Bethany. He could have saved Lazarus. He didn't even have to leave. We know from other miracles that Jesus did. He could have just healed him, but Jesus doesn't. And Lazarus dies. And now Jesus says, let's go to Bethany. Do you think in the back of the mind of Mary and Martha, they were wondering, Jesus, why didn't you do anything? You said that you love Lazarus, and yet here he is sick, and now he dies. And so Lazarus is dead. And Jesus and his disciples, they go, they make their way to Bethany. And Jesus comes and he, he meets with the sisters. Look at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So wherever Jesus was, it was a four-day journey to get to the family. But when he arrives, Lazarus has already been buried and he's been in the tomb for four days. Jesus really stretched this thing out. But you see, the fact that he'd been in the tomb for four days shows Lazarus really was dead. This wasn't something where he just fainted. He's in some kind of a coma, and the people didn't know anything about it uh, and just thought that, you know, he was dead. No, he's really dead. Anything? Laying in a cave for four days. He's dead. And here comes Martha, Lazarus's sister. 
And as we look at the conversation that Jesus has with Martha, uh, she recognizes that had Jesus been there, he could have done more. Look at verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So here's a woman of great faith because she says, hey, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have been alive. He would still be here, still be breathing. Now she doesn't say what she expects Jesus to do, but she acknowledges even now, even after he's dead, I know that God, if you ask him, can do whatever you ask him to do. She has great faith. I don't know if she's anticipating what's about to happen or not. But she has that great faith. And so Jesus has a conversation with Martha about the resurrection. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, you're right, Martha. Whatever I ask of the Father, He can do. And I'm here to tell you, Martha, your brother Lazarus will rise again. Notice her response, verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the res- res- on the resurrection of the last day. So she's thinking abstract. She's thinking, yeah, I know in the future there's going to be a resurrection day. I know that. But Jesus, if you had been here, he would still be alive. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe it? So Jesus asks Martha the question. And it's here that he makes the seventh, the sixth great I am statement in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. It's within the context of Lazarus passing and Jesus meeting with Martha that Jesus makes this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, Martha, I am the source of resurrection and of life. And he says to her, Martha, I want you to understand that that if someone believes in me, he will live even if he dies. There is life beyond the physical life. There is life even if physically you are dead. And if you believe you will never die. Was Jesus talking spiritually or physically? But he introduces the idea of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. As the story goes on, we see that Jesus is is now talking about his power as the source of life, his power as the source of of resurrection. And you see, as we look back at the story, we see that it was Jesus' purpose from the beginning to demonstrate God's power, Jesus' power over death, and to demonstrate the power of the resurrection that exists in him. Do you notice what we read earlier? When we were reading in verses 4 and 5, 
Look at it again. John 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by him. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, and yet he makes the statement, this isn't going to end in death. But what's happening in Lazarus now is happening so that God can be glorified. Jesus knew what was about to happen. And it was to demonstrate his power over death and his power of the resurrection, his power of life. Jesus was aware that Lazarus died. Verse 11 and 15, 15, we've already looked at that. But as Jesus comes and he sees the family of Mary and Martha, and he sees all their friends that have gathered uh, with him in the wake of Lazarus' death, Jesus is moved. Notice verse 32 following and how the story ends. Therefore, when Mary, the other sister, came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying there against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Get this picture in your mind. All of these people are right. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus from dying. And even as Martha talks to Jesus about the fact that, yes, I know there's a resurrection, but that's way off down over here. That's in the future. And it was abstracting her mind. No one could predict what Jesus was about to do. This guy opens the eyes of the blind. If he had been here, he could have healed this guy. Jesus has done all these miracles. If he'd have been here, he could have healed this man. Jesus loved him so much, he had the power to save his life. They didn't know what it was about. But you see, Jesus was demonstrating his power over death and his power of the resurrection. And so he says, roll the stone away. And even then, Martha, after her conversation with Jesus, still doesn't get it. And she says, Jesus, I've been in there for four days. His body is decaying. It's going to stink. It's going to be a stench. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they moved the stone 
Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. You see, Jesus was about to do something as he had a plan and a purpose. Way back there in verse 4, this is to glorify God, and he says it again here. Father, I know you hear me. This prayer is not for you. My asking you to hear is not for you. And it's not for me. We're on the same page. It's for them. It's for all of those gathered here so that they can know your power. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face wrapped around with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you believe Jesus? Or are you blinded by the very power that he has to follow him? And so Jesus does something amazing to demonstrate his power over death. And that is the resurrection of Lazarus. He goes to Lazarus' tomb and he calls him out and he comes out of that cave and, and, and they're able to unbind him from his burial clothes and there he is, healed, healthy, and alive. And everyone that's there sees that and they think to themselves, this man is the Son of God. They believe in him. But some of them are more concerned about their positions of authority. And even though they acknowledge what he's done, did you notice that? They didn't deny that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They acknowledged it. But you accept it. I take that back. They didn't even refuse to accept it. They just refused to follow Jesus. They never deny what he does. And so when we think about the power of the resurrection, we are confronted with the reality of what the resurrection means for us. An escape from death. Not a physical death. We don't know what happens to Lazarus, but nobody in the Middle East today is talking about this guy Lazarus who's been around for 2,000 years. I think he died. And yet Jesus just said, you'll never die again. So what was Jesus talking about? But a real resurrection in which we are raised to a new life. A spiritual resurrection. I think that's true. But there's also a side of the resurrection that changes our life now. And so when we look back at the text and Jesus says, 
He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die. You see, the resurrection changes your life. How does it do that? I want you to think about some things about Jesus and his power and the resurrection, how it changes our life. What did Jesus mean when he says, I am the resurrection and the life? We have a new life in Jesus when we believe in him and we follow him. Notice how Paul links these things together for us as we look over in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Notice Paul's word carefully. Colossians 2 and verse 6. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Walk in Him. Live in gratitude as you are instructed. Our lives change because we make a decision to walk in Christ, but does it leave it there? Look at verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised up with him through faith the working of God who raised him from the dead and when you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consistent freeze against us which is hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Did you notice what Paul just said there? When we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death, but we are also baptized into his resurrection, into his life. We have a new life. And what that means is all those sins, all those mistakes, all those things that have clogged up life in the past, Jesus has taken those things and nailed them to the cross and removed them from us. So that as we were buried with him, we have a newness of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And Paul begins this section by saying in verse 6, for we have received Christ, therefore walk in him. It is a changed life. It is a different life. It is a decision to follow Christ. Paul says it very similarly in Romans chapter 6. Notice what he says beginning in verse 8. Romans chapter 6. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that, our old, or knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under sin or under law, but under grace. Says when we become united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, we're raised to have a new life in Christ, and it changes our outlook in life. So instead of me saying to myself, how can I pleasure myself with my own desires, with my own wants, and serve myself, instead I'm going to use my body as an instrument of righteousness. It is a changed perspective, a changed life. That's the resurrection of Christ. And so we have a spiritual life that exists because of what Christ has done for us. The only path to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated that power when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But he even demonstrated it more powerfully when he himself was raised from the tomb. And when we're united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, we are united with Christ in that resurrection. And it needs to change our lives by the way that we live our lives. I dare say that all of us that are here this morning are familiar with these things. I say more daringly that most of us here, all of us here, would concur with these things. And yet many of us might have friends who say, well, yeah, but didn't Jesus say back here that whoever believes in me We'll never die. We'll never have life. Don't. All we need to do is to believe. I want us to think about that quickly. What exactly did Jesus mean by that belief? I believe Tony Romo's career is over. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's not going to change my life. It's just a belief that I have. Belief in and of itself is not all that powerful. It doesn't mean all that much. But later on in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus says, He who believeth in me and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. My belief has to change my life. I have to follow Jesus. I need to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And when we look at the early church, that's exactly what we see people doing. We come over to Acts chapter 2, that great sermon on Pentecost. Peter says, in response to the crowds, what shall we do? He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. But look at what verse 41 says, Acts chapter 2. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread. Everyone kept feeling a, a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Those who had received the word were baptized. It acted on them. They did something with that belief. They were united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. When the gospel first goes to the region of Samaria, we see something very similar. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. 
the belief was more than just a vague, I, I believe that too. It's something that changed their life. We could read further in the book of Acts. We could read, for instance, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, following, where Paul makes his way down to Ephesus and he finds some people who are described as being disciples, but there's a problem. Not everything is complete. And so it says that when Apollos was at Corinth and Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? What's the linking of baptism and belief there? Verse 3, and they said into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea of belief that Jesus mentions is not just a vague, yeah, I think that's true. But it's a recognition of Jesus' will and being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Crucifying that old body of sin and being raised to have a newness of life and making a decision to change my life to follow God. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life because he is the only pathway through eternal life. And to make that connection, we have to be united with Christ in His death and in His burial and in His resurrection through baptism. We find in Jesus a beautiful promise of resurrection in life. Not just that abstract thought. Martha couldn't get it through her mind what Jesus was about to do, about to raise her brother that had died, the one that she loved, the one she couldn't understand. Why didn't Jesus do something sooner? And for us, the idea of the resurrection is so far off. It's so abstract. That's happening later. After I'm dead, after I'm gone, generations, that's when Jesus is coming back. And if we don't stop and realize, we'll miss the fact that the resurrection happens that moment where we're not even start from baptism. And we change our lives and follow Christ. There will still be that resurrection morning when Jesus returns to take us home. But the change life happens now. Maybe you're here this morning and you need that resurrection by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to baptism. If that's what you need, once you come, let's together we can and come.